0: and welcome to the Oak Church Sermon Podcast. This week we continue with our sermon series Dangerous Prayers. Our pastor Trevor will be leading us in. Send me. Enjoy. Well hello again. It's good to take time to gather around God's word and just to prepare our hearts to receive that. When you preach each week, you can't expect everyone to remember everything each week, but maybe sometimes a message hits you and goes deep within you. So I want to really stretch your memory now to think back to what we were speaking back in August last year, all those months ago. For those of you who are with us and remember, we did what we call a month on mission. We did this focus on different places where people are on mission, and we also said in that that we are all on mission we said everybody is a missionary we've all got a mission field we're all the sent ones and that came from something that uh, we've been using in our church for a while now this thing this thing called the the church that God is building. It's just a a document that we had, that we've had up on the wall at church when we were last in the building, and that we've shared with you, that says this is some of the the characteristics of our church and what God is doing in our church. And there's a bit in this book that says, a church that sends people on mission for God's purposes. Let me read it to you again. It says, the community is beyond the local streets and neighbours. It's the lives we touch the places we work, the social networks we have and the world we live in. Everyone is on mission, some near and some far. Mission means more than just the conventional missionary. It's the ministries that reach the broken, the rejected, the wounded and the minority seeking out those that are distant from the church and haven't heard the gospel, building up people for mission, releasing them and sending them out to a lost world. That's definitely a, a characteristic of our church and what God is doing and it's definitely part of my heartbeat that we would all see ourselves as people who are on mission. And I want to say just this morning, before, before I even get into the word, if you're watching online on, on the, um, the online platform, I want to encourage you, maybe just put in the chat, if you believe you're on mission, if you've identified with that phrase and that realization that God has given you a calling, not just to go through life just you know week to week, but with a real sense of purpose and mission and calling, just put in the chat, say, you know, I'm on mission or something like that. And i'm I'm not about to use it against you at the very least it encourages me that people in the church are starting to grasp that and encourages others to see ourselves as missionaries as people who are on mission with a purpose the oak community church is called by god to build a people who are god-centered purpose-driven and empowered that is our vision And so I pray that week by week, month by month, year by year, that you have a life that is more God-centered, purpose-driven and empowered. But how do you receive that sense of calling? How do you get to be one of those people who goes, I am on mission, I know what God has called me to do? Well, this week's dangerous prayer that we're speaking about is the dangerous prayer of send me. It's a, it's a prayer that says, Lord, I've, I've seen that there is a need and I've heard you calling me and I would respond by saying, send me. But how does that happen? How does that sense of calling happen? And is it just for special people or is it for everyone? Well, before we open the word of God, let's pray. I'll ask God to build within us this sense of purpose and mission and even our ability to respond to him saying, here I am, Lord, send me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you are going to speak to us in these few moments. And Lord, prepare our hearts to respond, to be people who would say, here I am, send me. Amen. Well, if you've got a Bible with you, and I strongly encourage you to have a Bible with you, turn to the book of Isaiah. That's where our dangerous prayer is coming from this morning. And we are in the book of Isaiah in chapter 6. And it's a, uh, the book of Isaiah is, a, is one of our major prophets, uh, the, the uh, prophet Isaiah. The book is full of the different things that Isaiah felt God was saying to him. And this particular passage is at a moment a moment after the king has died. And it starts by this saying in Isaiah 6, verses 1, and I'm going to read through to 13. It says this, It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips yet I have seen the King the Lord of Heaven's armies then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs he touched my lips touched my lips with it and said see this coal has touched your lips now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven Then I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. And he said, yes, go and say to this people, listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing harden the hearts of these people, plug their ears, and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts, and turn to me for healing. Then I said, Lord, how long will this go on? And he replied, until their towns are empty, their houses are deserted, and the whole country is a wasteland, until the Lord has sent everyone away, and the entire land of Israel lies deserted. Even if a tenth, a remnant, survive, it will be invaded again and burned. But as a terebinth or oak tree leaves a stump when it's cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. This is one of many passages in the Bible where we hear people being called by God, where God's call comes forward and people respond. And it's a great passage where we hear this prayer this morning, here I am, send me, this response from Isaiah. And I think there's so much we can learn from this passage this morning about the call of God, about how we receive that greater awareness of God's call upon our life and how we respond to it. And I want to just take some time to delve into this passage and look at it, but I also want to share some of my own experience, what it's meant for me, how I've experienced call of god because so much of what my journey has been like i find in this story and if you're one of those people who also has a a sense of god's calling upon your life and you've become far more aware that you are a person on mission you may well also identify with parts of this story that go yeah that's just like my journey has been so let's just step through this have a look at this just have a look again at the first few verses in the middle of verse one it says i saw the lord this Passage talks about an encounter Isaiah has an encounter and what a powerful encounter it is! just try and maybe just shut your eyes and listen to these words Try and get a picture in your mind's eye and imagine the scene that Isaiah is trying to describe to something so Majestic and powerful. He's trying to describe. He says this is I saw the Lord He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple attending him were mighty seraphim. We don't even know what a seraphim is, but he tries to describe it. It's like a person, but they've got six wings and with two wings, they, they cover their faces. They're just seeing the glory of God and they can't even look at it, they're covering their faces. And with two, they cover their feet. That was an ancient tradition of recognizing the, the, um, the royalty and the uh, holiness of someone was to cover your feet. You are in the presence of someone incredibly special. And with two wings, they flew. And they were calling out to each other. They're making this declaration as God is revealing himself, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory, imagine. This is the same declaration that we hear in the book of Revelation, when it describes the throne room of God and the the four and 20 elders and the, the living creatures are all around the throne and the multitudes of heaven declaring, holy, holy, holy. And it says their voices shook the temple the temple to its foundations in, in some translations it talks about like thunder and the entire building was filled with smoke you know what Isaiah's trying to get across to us is let me tell you about the call of god the call of god is found in the presence of god and i if you are looking and going i don't feel this sense of calling or i don't I don't know where this occurs or these special people have some sense of calling, but not me. I want to say, get in the presence of God. Spend time in the presence of God. And I'm aware, I'm very much aware, as I thought about my own journey and my experience of feeling God's call, so many of those times actually have been amongst other people. Uh, in, in services, in worship times, in times when I've been able to just worship with others and just experience God's presence in that way. And I realise that we don't do a lot of that at the moment with the restrictions. It's hard to get those moments where you're just caught up in worship with others. Almost like this throne room of God that, that Isaiah is describing. But that doesn't mean that we can't yearn and seek for God's presence. For me this last year, it's meant so much more time just spending time with God alone. Just me and Him. No crowd, no church, no band, just with God, and I want to tell you if you haven't experienced that, you can experience God's presence without all the razzmatazz without all of the the things that help our emotions kind of go with the flow You can still sit with God in his presence and experience him enveloping that. I want us to see as well that this this um, sense of calling is actually a holy moment and sometimes I think we can imagine that the sense of calling is that we have something we're passionate about and we go to God and say, God send me to do this. It's like we are taking something to God and saying, God would you, would you bless this thing that I'm passionate about? And, and I've not found it really works that way and the Bible doesn't seem to describe it that way. It just seems to describe that we're in the presence of God and he says, look what I'm doing. Would you hear my call? It flips on its head so many times. We're like, oh, I wonder if God will bless this and I want to do this and I want to do that for God. And so many of our great intentions, which are, I want to do this for God and I want to do that for God. We have to come and go, God, can I just come into your presence? Can I just hear what you're saying? And then would you show me where you're at work and let me hear your call? You know, when Isaiah is in this presence of God and he is experiencing the holiness of God, Something happens that is consistent throughout God's word. It's consistent throughout my experience. It's the truth of who God is, is that when we have this experience with God, when we become so much more aware of his holiness and his wonder and his awe and his magnificence, we become so much aware of our inadequacies that we're not fit for the call. What do we read in verse five? He says, then I said, what's his reaction? It's all over. I am doomed, he says. He says, for I'm a sinful man. And he says, I've got filthy lips. I say things that are dreadful. And I'm amongst people who all talk this way. He says, but yet I've seen the Lord. I've seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. And I think Isaiah is so... um, it gives us such a great example of the attitude that we need, this, this humble view of our abilities, a real humble view of our brokenness. It's not ego-driven. It's not driven by how amazing I am, or you are, or what we think our abilities are. It's from a place of humility, and not false humility, a humility that literally goes, oh, I can't do this a humility that literally says i'm doomed i am unfit for this god could not use me i'm unqualified i'm inadequate my experience of this is there's two sides to this problem we either fall one way where we overestimate what we can do or we fall the other way and we underestimate what god can do when we overestimate what we can do, we're like, hey, God's got me on his side, and it's it great? I've got these abilities and these skills and I can do this and I've got that experience. And God says, no, 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 you need to have an experience with me and see how holy I am and see how awesome I am to the point where you go, I'm doomed. I am unfit for this. God wants to get us to that place. But also, he doesn't want us to lose sight of the fact that we may well be inadequate, but he is more than capable. There's this phrase, I forget who started it. I think it's such a wonderful phrase. I can't give it credit to who said it. It wasn't me who said it the first time. But it's this phrase that says, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He doesn't look around and go, who's most capable of doing this job for me? That's the one. He looks and says, that's the one I've called. How do I build them up and equip them? And I know for me, one of the memories I started to think about when I thought about this sense of calling and this sense of responding was I remember a particular time when we were at Sizewell on our holiday there. I can't remember how many years ago it was, probably oh, over 10 years ago, maybe 15, 16 years ago, something like that. And I can, you know, when you have a real experience with God, when you have one of those moments that hit you, you know, as I shut my eyes, I can I can literally see it all again. I can imagine where I was standing in the main hall. I can imagine what was going through me, and I I had this picture in the middle of worship time. I wasn't leading worship or anything. I was just standing there worshiping, and uh, and I just had this picture in my mind of me running like a relay racer. Have you ever seen the relay races on the Olympics and things? Like that? You know, you, you've got one person who's doing that stretch of the run, and as they get closer to the person they're gonna hand the bat on to, the person in the front just starts to build up a bit of speed. And so that when they hand the bat on over, they've got the momentum, they're not starting from a, a stopping start, they're, 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 they're traveling at the same speed. And I had this vision of me being that second runner and God coming up behind me to pass a baton to me and say, here you go son, here's a calling on your life. And the vision I had was not me picking up a bit of speed, so that we could hand over the battle and I could carry on. But I saw me running faster and running to try and get away. And God was pursuing me. There's this poem that I know David and Rosloff called The Hound of Heaven. I think it speaks in that of a similar idea that God is pursuing us. And I had this vision. And quite frankly, I didn't want the call of God on my life. I wanted to keep running. I wanted a safe distance between what God wanted to put into my hand and my own life. And I'm like, I'm not up for this. I'm not up for this, God. I can see you chasing me. I can see you've got your finger on my life that you've got a plan and I'm not up for it, God. That's where Isaiah was at. It's like, I'm doomed. I'm unfit for this. And I remember that uh, that picture I've got from Sizewell Hall and I can remember falling to my knees out of energy of running and just saying, God, you caught me. You got me. And just that, you know, it's a bit like Isaiah saying, he's it, going, kind of like, I am I am no good for this, God. I'm not fit for this, but I've seen the King. And that was the place I remember getting to in Sizewall Hall, you know, 16 years ago, probably, something like that. I was just like, God, I'm not up for this, but I've seen you and you got hold of me and I, I can't outrun you, God. I want us to also see that In this moment from Isaiah when he looks and says, you know, I'm not fit for this, I'm inadequate, I'm doomed, I've got filthy lips, I'm sinful, because I've seen the holy God, that God never leaves us in that place. I said to you earlier, I believe God honestly wants us to get to that place where we go, I'm not fit for this. But he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't. He wants to get us there. He wants to get us there where we stop dependent upon ourselves, we realize our inadequacies, we realize our sinfulness, and then, comes God and he comes along and he cleanses and he purifies and he makes us ready that's what we read in verse 6 of this passage as I said then one of the seraphim flew at me with a burning coal that burning coal often speaks of purification of being made right and he'd taken this burning coal from the altar with a pair of tongs and he touched my lips and he said see This coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Praise God. Your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. However much we experience the presence of God and realize our adequacy, he wants to come along and say, you know what, child, you're born again. You know what? I've cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. You know what? I am making you ready. This story I told you about Sizewell Hall—I don't know, 16 years ago, maybe even longer than that. Because I think, yeah, it, was, it must be a couple of years longer than that because it was a few years later. I was coming up to my 30th birthday, so yeah, I'm, I'm older than 46, so it's got to be more than 16 years ago. So I had this experience at Sizewell, and then I was coming up for my 30th birthday—I I, I can't remember just before or just after—and we were at church again in a time of worship. And I don't know how, and I don't know, um, yeah, I I can't say it was an audible voice, but I know, I just know. I was in church, and in a time of worship, and I just, it was almost like this moment of clarity where I felt just a dawning realization that God was saying, I've called you to pastor this church. And just it sunk deep within me, this, this calling of God. Just like, I'm like, really? Is that what God's saying? Is that what he's doing? And I wish I could describe it better. I don't know, I just kind of knew that I knew that I knew. But I also knew I can't just like, <laughs> I can't just do anything with that. I mean like, maybe I'm wrong. Because I, you know, like you, me, we can be wrong. We can think we've heard God and we haven't heard God. So I remember speaking to Karen and saying, I think we need to take a day. Let's just take a day away. And we found a retreat and we spent a day. And we spent the day reading the Word. We spent some time in complete silence, just in our own prayer with God. We spent some time praying together. We spent some time talking together. And I remember us getting to the point at the end of that day going, so I guess that's what God's saying. And then we found some good friends and we spoke to them. I think it was Dave and Claire, from a right? Dave and Claire Cleve, and shared with them, this is what we think God is saying. Can we have your prayer and your wisdom and your counsel upon our lives? And so this sense of God preparing us even though we realize we're inadequate and then we know that god is preparing us it comes with this this preparation i mean in isaiah we hear it like this moment occurs like this burning coal comes and he makes him pure and maybe this is where i divert from the story of isaiah because for me that was not a moment that was a a journey You just think about that, I'm 48, I think I'm 48, I'm going to turn 49 soon. I forget my age, you get to that age where you forget your own age, but yeah. So I'm 48, I've been pastoring for five years, so I pastored when I was 43, 44, if I'm getting my facts right, and it was 30, when me and Karen were like, I think God is calling us to pastor, and particularly to pastor the oak. Now, for those of you around at the time, they didn't need a pastor, they had one. Normal pastor in the church. So, okay, God. And so then what happened was a lot of waiting. A lot of waiting. A lot of waiting. Let me tell you, when you wait 13 years or whatever it was, you know, it's over 10 years of knowing that God is calling you, but knowing that his timing isn't there yet, waiting is difficult. For anyone who's on the chat, who said that they feel a sense of, of calling, I strongly suspect that you have that same sense of the gap between God's call and his release is often not overnight and it's often far longer than we wish or hope it would and beyond our own patience is, and God stretches that I want to speak on behalf of people but I think I'm pretty sure about this the Guy Mary felt called to go to Mozambique but I've heard their story they felt called to the mission field before they even had children a long time of waiting between God's calling and his release. I know Richard and Jill went to Spain to retire, but also to see what God had in store for them. And I chatted to them plenty of times and I could hear the frustration with them. They're like, I want to do some more for God. And now they're starting to do the food bank and I'm seeing this great release within them. There's a gap between the call of God and the release. I think I'm right in saying that David Tate believed he'd go back to Scotland. And a work to be done back there and had a moment of brokenness where God said, stay, stay in this area. I've got something for you. And there's a big gap there between God's work in his life then and the full release that I think is only just beginning. It's been it's been growing for a number of years, but really coming into his own mission field where he's able to really impact the lives of many young people in a systemic way across teams and people and across schools and campuses a a gap between the call of god and the release and it's true of jesus jesus came for god so loved the world that he gave his only son jesus said i have come to seek and save the lost but he didn't enter the ministry the moment he could speak he didn't enter the ministry the moment he was an adult it was about 30 odd years before he started his ministry. There is a gap between the call of God and the release of God. As God prepares us, like he prepared Isaiah. So this all happens with Isaiah, doesn't he? As his encounter with God, he realizes his own inadequacy. God gets him ready. And then God asks the killer question. It says it in verse 8 he says then i heard the lord asking whom shall i send as a messenger to this people who will go for us just bypass ali just a second this is probably well, well off the, the the topic today but i just want you to see it because i think it's glorious and you can skip over it just read what we just read again whom shall i send who will go for us it's a great part of the bible that shows us that God is one and God is Trinity. Just bypass that, it's great and lovely. These little nuggets of scripture that you can just skip over. I love this when you read it. Whom shall I send? God speaks as one being, as one Godhead. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Just a moment there. Anyway, so God asked this question, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah gives the model answer, doesn't he, right? Isaiah, I mean, this this is the great scripture to go to because he says the dangerous prayer. He says, here I am, send me. And it'd be great. It'd be great to just look at Isaiah and go, let's be like Isaiah. Let's be like Jesus who responded to the call. Let's be like Isaiah who responded. And that's wonderful examples, but I want to give you the full scope of the Bible because Isaiah is actually a bit of an exception many people object to god's call many people push back on god's call and go no 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 you got it wrong god just think about these think about peter you know when peter had this experience of the of god calling of jesus calling him we read it in luke chapter 5 in luke chapter 5 it's this bit where they they um they're in their boats and they they put the, the nets down and they get this amazing catch and in verse 7 of, of Luke 5, it says, They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' uh, fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. Jesus is trying to call him to become a fisherman, and he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. It's just like Isaiah he experiences the power of jesus the holiness of jesus and says jesus you need to leave I'm, you don't know me i'm sinful you are holy now isaiah is our model answer <laughs> he says here i am send me peter tries to push back i just want to pick on two people in the bible for you to see this because i want you to feel at home in your excuses genuinely I know right now some people are like yes God has called me and others are like oh this sermon isn't for me or don't don't give me another one of those calling messages because you know and you've got your list of excuses and I want to tell you you are among good company right there are two people I just want to pick on for a second in the bible not pick on in the church two people in the bible just look at these masters of excuses Gideon Gideon tries three different reasons why God couldn't possibly use him they may be excuses you've used before i don't know but gideon has tried it so um, just just have a look in your bible to judges chapter 6 and uh, or or i'll just read it to you because it's very very quick anyway right god comes and calls gideon and gideon tries three times to get away from god first thing he says is in in chapter 6 verse 13 he basically says god you're the problem It's amazingly audacious of of Gideon to go, you can't call me God because you are not good enough. You're not powerful enough. What do we read in verse 13? He uh, He says, and Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all these wonderful deeds that our father recounted to us, saying, didn't the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian he just straight off pushes back on god and says you can't call me god because you're not good enough you're not faithful enough you're not powerful enough you couldn't do this god it's amazing that he has the um audacity to try that one god's having none of it so then he goes for another excuse just a couple of verses later in verse 15 his, his second excuse is well maybe maybe you know god maybe you are good enough but i'm not good enough i'm no one special what does he say in verse 15 he says uh he said then please lord how can i save israel behold my clan is the weakest in manasseh and i'm the least in my father's house so he's tried god you're not good enough now he says i'm not good enough i'm nothing special and then even then when god says you're gonna you're gonna do what i say he gets to verse 17 and he says okay okay but i still need convincing god I mean, I know you've told me this. I know you've spoken out of nothing, right? And you've declared all these things, but you are going to have to prove it to me. Verse 17, and he said to him, if now I've found favour in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. I mean, I I think Gideon is a dreadful example to follow, right? He has the audacity to say, God, you're you're not good enough. You're not faithful enough. You're not strong enough. You've not been around. You've not been looking after us. That's pretty bold. He then has the audacity to go, you got it wrong, God. You called me mighty, but I'm actually weak. And then he says, you better prove it to me. It's interesting. So many people go, I'm going to be like Gideon. And I'm going to lay down a fleece. Don't be like Gideon. Don't be like Gideon. It's a man of excuses. But he's not the best man of excuses. He only had three. Look at Moses. Moses had four times at trying to say, God, you've got the wrong man. Just go back a couple of books into Exodus and into Exodus um, chapter 3 and in exodus chapter three when god calls moses moses tries four times to say god this isn't going to happen he firstly says in verse 11 i am no one special right in verse 11 says but moses says to god who am i that i should go to pharaoh and bring the children of israel out of egypt i'm no one special you got the wrong person god this is not the job for me you need to find someone better who am i a few verses later he he says "Look, i'm not qualified i don't know enough i don't know enough about you god i don't know enough about your character in the bible when we're talking about god's character they talk about his name that's how it described his character in verse 13 moses said to god if i come to the people of israel and say to them the god of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me what is your name what shall i say to them if they want to know who is this God? What's he like? What's he about? What's his character? What's his name? I don't know how to answer them. Moses said, I'm no one special. I don't know you well enough. I don't know your character. God carries on with him. In chapter four, verse one, he comes his third excuse. His third excuse is, no one listens to me, God, right? You can use me, but no one ever listens to me. What's he say in verse one of chapter four? Then Moses answered, behold, they won't believe me, or listen to my voice, for they'll say, the Lord didn't appear to you. It's like, no one's gonna believe me. I'm not special. And then God keeps persisting. Lastly, Moses, the king of excuses, tries his fourth excuse in verse 10. And he says this, he says, I'm not talented enough. (laughs) God, I I just haven't got the abilities, I can't speak. He says in verse 10, but Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, because I'm slow of speech and of tongue. You know, Gideon, Gideon has his three excuses. Moses has his four. Jonah, we were doing about Jonah a few weeks ago. was it just before Christmas? I forget now. We recently did Jonah. Jonah doesn't bother with his excuses. Jonah just runs. Jonah just goes, I'm avoiding the call of God. You know, the funny thing about all these people is God doesn't let any of them off the hook. He didn't let any of them off the hook. All these people with their excuses, God is so persistent. Even with Jonah when he's running away, God grabs him back. And it's a funny thing about this, um, this prayer, is in some ways you don't need to say it. <laughs> you don't need to say, here I am, Lord, send me. Because when God's got his plan for you, he's going to send you anyway. Like my little vision of God running after me. He's going to do it anyway. But let me tell you, it's so much more pleasant when we give in to God. So much more. So much more willing. And I, I've, just, I, I've just known too many people. Like, Why didn't I give in to God sooner? And so it's a funny one, this dangerous prayer, because really all it does is just speed up what God's going to do anyway. That moment of surrender that says, here I am, Lord, send me. You know, when it catches hold of you, when you go through all this process, this process of spending time with God and, and, and realising how inadequate you are and realising how good he is and how holy he is and receiving that preparation and that submission that says, here I am, Lord, send me, it, it, it turns into not this unwilling thing. It turns into this very willing thing says, I'm up for this, God, I'm up for it. I've got, I've got this fire inside me now, God. I want to, I wanna serve you, God, I wanna do what you're calling me to do. And, and you know when that call has caught hold of you, when when you really start to get excited about it. And you know what you discover? When you, when you give in to God, when you receive that call, when you start getting excited about what God could do, you know what happens? You realize it's not as pleasant as you thought it would be. <laughs> Because in the midst of our enthusiasm, in the midst of our passion, our imagination adds all this stuff around it that goes, it's gonna be easy. Oh man, now I've got God on my side, it's gonna be easy. And what you discover throughout God's Word and in this Isaiah bit is it's not pleasant, often not pleasant at all. You heard the words that we read earlier, as soon as Isaiah says, here I am Lord, send me. God says, here's the message I want you to give to the people of Israel. It's not a pleasant message, have a listen. He said, "Yes, go and say to this people: listen carefully, but don't understand; watch closely, but learn nothing; harden the hearts of these people; plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way, they won't see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts, and turn to me for healing." <laughs> now, you, you get this reaction from Isaiah. He's like, "Really, God? How long are you gonna... How long are you gonna play that game for?" And God. So he says, how long will this go on for? He says, and God replied, until their towns are empty, their houses are deserted, and the whole country is a wasteland. Until the Lord has sent everyone away, and the entire land of Israel, it lies deserted. He says, even if a tenth of them are left, this remnant survive, they'll be invaded again and burned. He says, this great mighty oak tree, it's going to be reduced to just being a tiny stump that then God can use. And I just think there's such a message in this bit. It's like, this is not the most exciting call that you could ask for from God. It's like, oh, great, thanks God. And I think it also tells us something really important that, that not everyone believes our message. Some won't believe. Even though you've been sent by God, even though you've got a calling, a mission field, it won't be easy. We were doing um, John 12 a few weeks ago, and, and David Tate was at this bit in John 12 where it recites this same thing. In John 12, he recites it and says, because it, remember Dave was talking about not everyone believes, and that's, a, that's, that's the truth of who Jesus is, that some believe and some don't believe. They were quoting, or Jesus was quoting, this passage, where he says he's blinded their eyes and hardened their heart. And he said, Isaiah said these things because he saw the glory of jesus you know sometimes the message that we've been given is uncomfortable i know we are called to love the world i know we are right and i know we're called to be compassionate and and, and uh, inviting and welcoming and gentle and all these things but please don't misunderstand that the call of god is often rejected by many not liked by some it's uncomfortable sometimes to share the gospel with people I don't mean we're going out there to be antagonistic, but when God gives you a calling, you will face opposition. You know, And so this message that we've been given is sometimes uncomfortable. But I also wanted to share a very brief story with you. Because sometimes it's not just the message that's uncomfortable, sometimes you are the message. And it's massively uncomfortable. Let me share with you a story that some of you may have heard Some of you may have never heard, some of you probably won't even remember, but for me, I can't read this passage in the Bible without remembering the story, because it's immensely close to me personally and my mum. So for those who don't know about my mum, my mum and dad led the church for a number of years, and my mum uh, had breast cancer. And she had uh, an operation to have one of her breasts removed, she had some chemotherapy, she recovered, and then the cancer came back. And then she had a tumour and problem, you know, cancer all over her body. In the end, she died. And when my mum was at the beginning of that journey, when she was going, I, I think it was for the, when the cancer came back, she was going to have a, a scan. Uh, you know, like a, a CT, I don't know if it's CT or MRI, but one of those things where you lay on a bed and you go through the machine. Um, and they're going to scan her body And because often those machines are noisy, they give you the choice of, do you want to listen to some music? And my mum really chose a a particular song by a chap called Marty Goetz. And it's based all around this this story of Isaiah with him saying, here I am, send me. Um, I'll post a a link to the song. You can listen to it in your own time. Um, It often brings me to tears because it reminds me of this story about my mum and the reality of when we say, here I am, send me. Because as my mum, laid on the, the, the bed of the machine that was going to scan her to find out whether the cancer was back or not. And she heard this song and heard the words, here I am, send me. They were her confession. They were her confessions to the Lord saying, here I am, send me. Or whatever you've got in store, send me. If you want to use this illness in a way that brings you glory, send me. If you want to use this cancer in a way that doesn't lead to healing, but leads to death, send me. If you want to use this cancer in a way that brings you glory by the way I live my life despite illness, then send me. And that's why this passage is very special to me. That's why that song is very special to me. But the principle I want you to get is this. Sometimes the call of God is our own lives. Sometimes God uses our very lives as the message that is being spoken. And sometimes it's in wonderful, miraculous ways, and sometimes it is in painful ways, but always it is for God's glory, for him to reach out to people. So what about you? What about the call of God for you? I started this passage and just kind of skipped past it intentionally. The first few words in this passage in in Isaiah where it says, it was in the year King Uzziah died, that I saw the Lord. I wonder what was so important about saying that it was in the year that King Uzziah died, and a lot of commentators try to pontificate about it, but I just want to say this, that there is a divine timing for God's calling. For Isaiah, it was in the year that King Uzziah died. It was a moment of great transition for Israel from one king to what would come next. It was a significant moment in their history. For those who were alive, any change of king, often the, the situation changed whether they were following God or not changed. Uzziah was someone who, who overstepped the mark with God and had leprosy because he, he, um, he disobeyed God. And, and now a new king's coming. And I just wanna say that there's a divine time for calling and watch out for significant moments. Be someone who's aware of the seasons. We are going through a season right now. If this was ever a significant moment through Covid, it was, if ever there was one, it's now. And be aware that often in those significant moments where there's loss and disruption, they can be the birth of a new mission. Often in the midst of tragedy is where God wants to work the greatest often when everyone is feeling unstable is the moment when god wants to send you into a place into a calling onto a mission field into the very place where you live or work and speak for him i want to say as well that this idea of being sent here i'm send me you know if i sent you somewhere you would go and i would stay but when god sends he doesn't send us away from god he sends us with his presence in his power and in his strength you know the reason that we're so inadequate is so that we would depend upon him so that the surpassing power of, of what god is up to would be credit to him paul said this in when he spoke to the corinthians in in 2 corinthians he said you know i don't want you to be unaware that when we were on this mission field we despaired of our life we were so utterly burdened that we despaired for our life we felt we'd received the senses of death he says says, but that was to make us rely, not on ourselves, but on the God who raises us. That was from 2 Corinthians 1, eight to nine. God wants to, to show his power through our gaps, through our inadequacies, through our weaknesses, that his power would be manifest. He wants to come and be with you in your calling, in your purpose, in your mission, that we would go in the might of God i read this verse this is a great verse from ephesians 6 verse 10 it says finally be strong in the lord and in the strength of his might be strong in the lord in the strength of his might he goes with us his power is with us you know when jesus gave the great commission in matthew 28 the last few verses of the book of matthew he says you know i have been given all authority so go go into the world make disciples baptize them, teach them how to follow me. And he says this, he says, and behold, I'm with you, I'm with you to the end of the age. And so I wanna say, take time with God, hear his call, realize what you can't do and how much he can work through you. Be prepared to wait around and for God to prepare you and for him to shape your heart. Be prepared for for it to be tough but let me say look for those divine moments look for the the moments in history where god is doing something he says now is the time the time between the calling and the release now is the time and i'm with you i'm strengthening you i'm holding you i am empowering you god is with you in everything he has called you to praise god